Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode of Angel. Hi, Anne. Absolutely crazy week this week. Beyond so. And I feel like this is the type of week where right after we upload the episode, moments after something else will break. Well, that happened last week with Kim and Pete going to dinner in Staten Island on Monday night. I know. We have an entire discussion about the roller coaster photo. And then right after we drop the episode, the report of Staten Island comes out. And we're like, are you kidding me? I can't wait to break it all down in this episode. That could be its own episode, by the way. It really could be. It is all we have been speaking about for what, the last six days? Every like seven minutes, I would say, when we were together yesterday, you would look at me and you would go, So come on, what do you actually think? Like, what do you actually think about Kim and Pete? And I was like, I've told you six minutes ago what I thought about Kim and Pete. You're like, You don't think anything else now? <laughs> it has occupied my mind in a way that I didn't even know something could. I know. The last time I thought about a celebrity story or news this frequently is when the first Ben and JLo pictures broke. Right. And it's the same kind of having to wrap your head around it. But even with the Ben and JLo stuff, it was like, it was more that you couldn't wrap your head around it because of the time frame. This is just like out of any realm of possibility that I ever thought of. By the way, I know we'll get into this later on, but I don't think my stance has changed in the sense of Again, I pray that I am proven wrong and that I look so stupid a few months from now, but I still think I stand by the fact that I don't think anything is going on. And I know that may be an unpopular opinion. I just I just can't see it for some reason. I can't see it either, but I there's no way you can hold the position that nothing is going on. I mean nothing romantic. Like I again, I hope I'm wrong. Please God let me be wrong. I'm just saying I don't think they're hooking up. Does the fact that you think nothing romantic is going on mean that you don't think that they could even be hooking up as a possibility and it's just not romantic hooking up or it's just out of the question altogether? 
Oh, interesting. You're, you're by that you're making the differentiation of like just a hookup or like a romanticized hookup. You're saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. I no by that I meant anything sexual going on remotely. I again. I could be wrong and potentially it could get there. I just don't foresee it happening in this moment. But again, please God, let me be wrong. I can't wait. I promise we'll get into it more. I would say that before we even start the episode, my stance would be that I think it's possible that there is something sexual going on. I don't think there's something romantic. We will obviously get into a full discussion on all of that, but I really think we need to start out with Astro World. What do you think? Yeah, I think definitely. So for anyone unaware, Astroworld is a music festival that was founded by Travis Scott in 2018. This is the third year that they were doing it. Of course, they didn't do it in 2020 because of COVID. And it's held in Houston on the former site of Six Flags Astroworld, which was a Houston landmark that closed in 2005. So of course, Travis is a Houston native. Astroworld, of course, is also the name of his studio album that was released in 2018, the same year as this event's inception. So there's a long history there. And Before I get into the timeline of the actual event, I just want to mention some more general facts that I think may help to contextualize this. There were an estimated 50,000 people there on day one. This was supposed to be a two-day festival. Of course, as a result of the tragedy, the second day was canceled. But when I first heard that number 50,000 and when I saw the photos, that seemed like an outrageous number to me. It just looked so massive. And I was reading something from the Houston Fire Department chief, and they were saying that there's actually no capacity limits for outdoor events in Houston. So, I mean, clearly this event had a lot of issues, which we're going to get into, but capacity wise, technically this number was allowed, which was not something that I was aware of necessarily. Right. And that number is going based off of ticket sales. 50,000 tickets were sold based on the events that we've seen. It's possible that the number of people in attendance was higher than 50,000. Totally. So we're obviously going to get into the timeline and kind of just really the list of failures at every single level here, but just in terms of security, there were a reported 528 Houston police department officers, and then an additional 755 private security officers that were provided by Live Nation. So even when you put those two together, we're talking about 1300 members of security for a crowd of 50,000. Just that, I mean, knowing nothing else, even if you didn't know kind of the history of Travis Scott performances and concerts, which we will get into. Already, to me, that just seems like a monumental security failure, lack thereof, and you know, on the fault of Travis's and the other organizers. Right. And that's what a lot of people were saying was their big takeaway was obviously it seems like everybody who was in attendance was failed at almost every level. But one of the major, major takeaways that everyone seemed to have was the lack of security that they expected to be there. So the actual performances started at 1 p.m. that day. And of course, there was you know a large lineup. But there are videos starting around 2 p.m. of people just stampeding through dozens of security. And if you look at it, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. There's just hundreds of people running through, trampling one another, knocking over the gates, knocking over the security barricades. And there are videos of members of security literally crossing themselves, praying, because I think that there was already at least from what I've seen. And I'm sure once this episode comes out and in the coming weeks, we'll get more information. But I think that there was a lot of anticipation from security about what could happen. But I think once they started to really see it, they knew they were just grossly outnumbered. Don't you feel that way? Right. It's a combination of grossly outnumbered and you had a crowd that was an above average amount of rowdiness who kind of went into the day 
with the expectation of chaos ensuing. And, you know, obviously we'll continue to get into that as we talk about the details of the event. But one of the things Travis is known for and one of his big pieces of responsibility in all of this, among other things, is that he creates a very, very rowdy crowd and expects that from his audience. So even just going into the day of Astroworld before his set even went on, that was the climate of the of the festival. And of course we will get into this. Just one point that I want to say in response to what you just said is that one of the things that I find the most disgusting in all of this is of course, it's such a huge safety concern, et cetera. But these are people that are working for you. These you know, security personnel are working for you. And you are, not that he did it in this particular instance, but in his past, so that could definitely carry on. You are quite literally telling your fans to disrespect and disregard the members of security and kind of just go around them. And that's what he's done in the past. So you have to imagine that that mindset continued through. Right, exactly. Well, that was a discussion that I was having with somebody who was saying that they kind of knew about the organizers of the event. And one of the major issues they had is that they hire X amount of security to be there, but then they have the understanding that there's a lot of people that won't show up because they decide that as far as security goes, it's not worth them risking their own lives for the little amount that they would be paid to be in attendance. So already before the day even starts, you're understaffed in terms of security of what you're expecting versus what actually arrives. So like I said, that stampeding started around two. The first performance was around one. And at 6.30, little baby goes on. 7.30, SZA goes on. And there was a little bit of time in between SZA and Travis's performance because he didn't go on until nine. But every account that I have seen of people that were there for multiple performances before Travis's, we're saying, you know, it's the same amount of people that were there for SZA as there was for Travis. However, the crowd was significantly less rowdy. There wasn't that same pushing. It was honestly a relatively mellow experience before he took the stage, correct? Yeah. All the accounts that I kind of saw were, that was pretty much the case. I mean, normal concert rowdiness, but nothing compared to what unfolded. And then once it was leading up to the time for Travis to come, there was like a 30 minute countdown. And that's when the crowd started to push and get really rowdy and people started to push over to the front. And that's when things started to go downhill. Then once he actually came on stage, it was very quickly after that, that things went very, very downhill fast. Right. So he comes on right after 9 p.m. And like Julie said, you know, moments before that, and let's say the 30 minutes before that, according to a lot of people that were there, specifically this one ICU nurse, Madeline Eskins, was saying that, you know, when the countdown really began, people just started compressing up against one another. They're pushing backward and forward, and it just really got worse and worse. So he comes on and the crowd begins to surge forward. And so at 9.30 is when officials first receive reports of people falling down, injured in the crowd, requesting additional resources to the scene. And at 9.38 p.m., so keep in mind that is roughly 38 minutes after Travis takes the stage, a mass casualty event was officially declared. So I've read a lot about this, obviously, in preparation for this podcast. But to be honest with you, the research that I found to be the most telling and I say that because I'm going to put a lot of the links in the descriptions is the TikTok accounts from people that were there, not only in terms of actually seeing videos so that you can get a visual for it, but also just in hearing people recount it the next day, because you could tell they were still so shaken up that their reaction was, was so real and hearing people explain what was going on. 
it was basically just straight chaos. And what was happening is that everybody was pushing forward. So to be honest, there are a lot of reports from people that were there that were standing way at the back that honestly didn't even know what was going on because it seemed like a rowdy concert, but nothing that was fear-inducing. But anybody that was anywhere near the front, the pushing was so severe that it was causing asphyxiation, cardiac arrest, people were passing out left and right. And you see, again, I'm going to put these videos in the description. I'm sure most of you have seen this. There were literally videos of people getting up on the stage, screaming for the cameraman to please stop the show. And if you hear, there are moments when, you know, Travis will stop in between songs and you can hear the crowd screaming, stop the show, stop the show. And yes, there are videos, multiple videos of Travis stopping at various times when he noticed that somebody passed out here or there. But there are ambulances in the middle of the crowd and you hear him say at multiple times when people are saying to stop the show, you hear him say, you know, I hear people telling me stop the show, like, you know what you signed up for. So just to put it in perspective, imagine you are somebody there, you are literally struggling to breathe, you are watching people around you pass out, you are literally watching people falling off of stretchers, dying, and you hear Travis Scott on stage saying, listen, you guys knew what you came here for. To say it, I I honestly, Julie, I'm having a hard time even wrapping my head around that as I'm recounting this now. Right. That's what's the most confusing thing is because there's also very conflicting reports of what was known and what wasn't known. So on one hand, you do have footage of him stopping the show and saying like, get this person help, get this person help. At the same time, for the entire crowd to be screaming, stop the show, stop the show, and for it to not happen, that's my confusion. Like, how do you claim that you don't know the extent of what was going on when people are yelling at you that the show has to end? And that's obviously so much on Travis himself, but that's also every single person who was in charge of concert organization and who was in charge of security who didn't put an end to all of this. Yeah. I mean, see, the thing for me is that I think one of the reasons that I obviously logically understand it's not all Travis's fault. Of course, it's him and everybody else that works with him and, you know, helped put on this event and clearly did not staff it properly, didn't have the protocols in place, et cetera. But I think I said this to you yesterday. It's like, if this had gone off completely successfully without a hitch, he would have gotten the sole credit. Nobody is looking towards the other individuals that work behind the scenes to talk about it. No, if this Astro World went phenomenally, it would have been fucking Travis Scott. He's a legend. He's an icon. He did it. So you don't get to then remove yourself from that point of responsibility when the show goes terribly. That's why I think like, do I, in my heart, what, I, do, what do I honestly believe? I think he knew that it was definitely getting rowdy and it was getting dangerous. I don't think he gave a shit because that's part of his like, you know, rowdy mentality. I don't believe he knew people were necessarily dying, but I don't think that that makes it any better. Like, I don't believe that he consciously knew people were actually dying in the crowd and continue to keep going. But I think that even if you know it's getting dangerous, that in and of itself is reason enough to stop. And like, no, I've never been on stage. I don't know what it's like to be able to see what you cannot see, but how many videos have surfaced since this of so many other performers in various genres, not just in you know, pop or country or jazz or, you know, music that's a little bit more calm, also in rock and in rap of people stopping the show and saying, absolutely not. Something got, something's got to give here. You saw the video of ASAP Rocky, of Billie Eilish, of so many various performers that have stopped the show because they've recognized that something is off. And I think that as an artist, as somebody that is responsible for this level of a crowd, you have the responsibility to either be better in tune with what's going on or to have more of a communication behind the scenes with somebody that's working for you around to understand the situation. 
Right. Especially when you have a history of these types of incidences happening at your show. Obviously, what we're seeing here is the first time that somebody has died as a result of the crowd getting out of hand at a Travis Scott concert. But there are a lot of reports of people being injured, a lot of reports of concerts getting way out of hand and it creating a dangerous environment. And what you saw here was the culmination of all of that. Obviously, we don't know for sure what Travis knew or didn't know. But like you said, he knew something wasn't right. Maybe he didn't know that people were dying. I choose to believe that as well. I can't imagine a scenario where just as a human being, he would continue to perform knowing that people were dead in the audience. But regardless, people were injured. Something was not right. Very, very not right. And he continued to play. And the excuse of like, well, this is the environment of a Travis Scott show it doesn't fly. If anything, it makes it a million times worse because this is the environment you've created and now people are dead because of it. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's why to me, there's a direct correlation between the responsibility because these weren't people that were just rowdy for no reason. If anything, to me, it's like, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it because I, I don't know how this will come across, but it's almost as if they're doing it like as a responsibility to him. You know what I mean? Like that's what he expects of his audience. That is the energy that he has created. And that is kind of the expectation that he has of his crowd. And so there's this very strange relationship going on between performer and crowd where danger is almost celebrated. And I don't think that I'm like out of pocket for saying that because I think that he appreciates and kind of thrives off of that little bit of danger. Again, I truly do not believe he wanted people dead. I mean, I can't, that's just sick to me. I mean, you have to be like sociopathic to want that. But I do think that he wanted people a little bit scared. I think that he, that, you know, he gets a high off of that. And that's, that's sick to me. Right. I, a hundred percent. I think he gets a high off of the crowd being as rowdy as humanly possible. And I think that's the other part of the conversation and not to absolve any responsibility from Travis about this. If anything, it kind of adds to it. But it's not like you had a crowd where every single person in the audience was like, stop, stop, this has to end. You had a lot of people yelling for help and a lot of people trying to stop it. But you also had an overwhelming number of people in the audience who were willing to just ignore what was happening around them and continue to trample people and continue to shout out into the audience for people to not end the show. And when people were trying to get help to yell at them, to tell them, you know, to stop and that this is the environment of the show. So all around, you also had a crowd of people who were just as irresponsible as the people who were putting on the show, as irresponsible as Travis Scott, who really fed into that mentality of like, if you can't handle it, like that's your own fault. And that should never, ever be the case. This was a real crisis, a real emergency because of people's inability to say like a human life is more important than a concert. People are dead. And it's just everything that unfolded was wrong on every level. And I think what it started at, aside from the lack of organization and aside from the lack of security personnel, the sheer fact of what the environment was at this concert is the reason that people are dead. Exactly. Exactly. And in that conversation, the I just do not think you can have that and separate it from the responsibility that Travis has in all of this. It's To me, it's physically impossible. And by the way, at the time that we're recording this, there have been eight reported deaths. And I, of course, pray that that number does not increase, but I know that there were, you know, hundreds of people hospitalized a lot in critical care. The youngest 10 years old, the youngest person that passed away, unfortunately was 14 years old. So, you know, I, I don't even think, I guess 
the best way that I can put it is that I don't even think we've seen the full fallout yet because I think the dust is still kind of settling. Yeah, I think so too, unfortunately. So before we get into some of the lawsuits that have started to take place and Travis's response and all of that, I want to go back to somebody I mentioned earlier. Her Instagram name is at Sienna Faith. I'm going to put the link in the description. But she is the woman in that video that kind of went viral where she climbed up on the stage and was trying to get the attention of the cameraman to you know, basically say, you need to alert somebody to stop the show. And if you saw anywhere on Instagram, there was another post that had kind of gone viral. It was a black background, white text. And it was a recounting of the event saying, I just want a formal record of what I witnessed here. So that is the same woman. So the same woman who wrote that is also the woman who was on stage, you know, trying to get the attention of the cameraman. And I mean, the entire thing was horrific. And I think she definitely behaved in a very heroic way or was doing everything in her power. But I guess what had happened, which I wasn't aware of this until I saw that she posted this about 12 hours ago from the time we're recording this the cameraman in that video and his family were being flooded with death threats. And she posted something on her Instagram. His wife had reached out to her and she posted something saying, I need all of you to understand that I do not blame the cameraman. Just as I'm human and do not always know the right thing to do, he's human. I've been made aware that he did call for help after. And that is the reason these two medics appeared. I'm grateful for his help. I'm also devastated imagining what has been said to him and every one of his family members. No one deserves that kind of hatred. I'm sorry that the cameraman and I could not do more to help. The event was a tragedy and never should have happened. And also just to clarify this, because I think it's important, there was a report that when she was trying to get help, somebody said, you know, if you keep doing this, I'm going to push you off stage. She clarified it was not that cameraman. That was an interaction she had with another member of security that she does not know who it was. But the reason I mention all of that, aside from the fact that I think it's important to you know, not put blame on on somebody that it isn't warranted for is just because, you know, going back to our earlier conversation of like, who is really at blame here? Every single person that was working that event was doing a job that was under, the way that I see it at least, was under Travis's guidance or, you know, quote, for Travis. And so I still think no matter what way you kind of spin it, Travis is the one responsible for putting every single person in this situation. And I hate to even say it, but it's so unfortunate that, you know, from the perspective of this cameraman, he's doing his job. He's terrified of not getting paid. You've seen, there are a lot of videos, if you really look into it, at the way that Travis Scott has interacted with uh, members. I don't want to say necessarily crew members, but people that have been on stage at various concerts. And so I just think that, you know, her post is so true of like, the fact that he was even put in that position is unfair. You know what I mean? Right. And that's exactly what we were saying as well. It's like, this goes so high up that there is a piece of blame to go around for kind of everybody involved down to the fans that didn't look out for one another in that moment. But the fact of the matter is, is that the people who have the absolute blame here are the people at the top, Travis, the organizers of this event, anybody who was in charge of making sure this was a safe event and an event that people could attend without fearing for their lives as any concert should be. And everybody who was in attendance and anybody who was, hired to work this event is somebody who just was contracted to do their job was failed by everybody who was at the top. Right. And that's the part of the conversation that I think is really important to not get lost in all of this because, you know, listen, they were, by the way, they were put in danger as well, you know? Right. All in all, this was just no element of this was safe. And I think that obviously 
going forward, not just with Travis Scott events, because I don't think we'll know what those will look like, but with any festival and any concert, these are things that people have to be aware of. This is not the first time that a tragedy has ensued at a concert as a result of stampeding or rioting or, or whatever it may be. And obviously this was such a tragedy and this was a rare event and it doesn't happen often. It's still something that every time a concert is being put together, no matter how small or big it is, these security concerns have to be taken so, so seriously. Totally. And since, again, at the time we're recording this, I'm sure this will change by the time it comes out, lawsuits have started to emerge. So, so far, three have been filed from people who said that they were injured at the festivals and the defendants, you know, named include Travis, Drake, the venue, Live Nation. Two of the suits are seeking $1 million in damages. Also, there was a civil suit against Travis and Drake, blaming them for, quote, negligently inciting a riot and violence. And one of those is seeking $1 million in damages, also claiming Live Nation failed to provide adequate security and medical services at the Astroworld Festival. And that same suit alleges that Travis quote, had incited mayhem and chaos at prior events. He was arrested in 2017, accused of inviting fans to bypass security and rush the stage at a show in Arkansas. And he also pleaded guilty to reckless conduct charges following Lollapalooza in 2015. So it it just, you know, I think the way that I feel about this is like, if you know nothing and you hear about this tragedy, it's terrible and it's hard to watch and it's hard to stomach. But once you really get kind of familiar with the context of it, I think that's when it gets increasingly darker. Oh, absolutely. One of the major issues here, especially when you look at the Travis Scott concerts and the conversations we're having, is that I believe that with Travis's concerts and the way he set it up in terms of inviting fans to bypass security barricades and inviting fans to come up and rush the stage, like I believe that what his intent there to do was when you look at concerts, a lot of the times you view those security things that are put in place as only protecting the artist. And I think that what was intended during these concerts was that, okay, if we remove the security barricades and we tell people to rush it, then I look like I really care about my fans because I'm saying like, no, I don't need to be protected. I'm one of you. And people fail to realize, and obviously Travis greatly failed to realize that those security barricades. Yes, they're there to protect the artist. They're there to protect everybody, the security involved, the people on the stage, the people in the crowd, every single person at every single level, security exists for a reason. It's not just protecting the one sole artist on stage. And I think that was something that was continuously ignored and ignored as a way to create some sort of a relationship with the fans. And it really, really turned bad. No, it did. And also it came out this morning, according to Variety. So he was scheduled to perform at the Day in Vegas Festival. He has canceled his performance. And apparently he will also be providing full refunds for anybody who attended Astroworld. In addition to, again, this is all coming out kind of as we're recording this, so I don't know how it will change, but covering the funeral costs for um, anyone who unfortunately passed away and also helping to offer mental health services for those kind of traumatized, which is the least he can do, honestly. I, I... I'm struggling to find a way to talk about this well because it's just such a tragedy. And I think what's so frustrating is that it was so avoidable. This did not need to happen. I really reject the logic that was surfacing a little bit of, you know, well, this is the kind of shit that happens when things get rowdy. It's like, no, it's not. This is not meant to happen. In no world is this the norm or should this be at all perceived as something that just happens. This is unacceptable. 
It's not because here's the thing. It's not a one-off, you know, it's not like somebody just so happened to have a heart attack at an event. It was the, the circumstances of the event that caused these health issues. Right. A hundred million percent. It's unacceptable. Yeah, no, it really is. The one other element of this that I want to mention is that, you know, obviously Kylie was there, I think with Kendall, with Stormy, a few other people, they were in the VIP section, which I was trying to kind of orient myself as to the location and that was towards the back. So, you know, if you saw, she had posted some stories throughout the night as she does when she goes to his concerts often, there were some videos of Stormy with the headphones. And then the next morning when all of the reports, you know, came out, she had deleted the stories in one of the stories you could have seen, you know, one of the ambulances. She posted a statement on her Instagram story that said, Travis and I are broken and devastated. My thoughts and prayers are with all who lost their lives, were injured or affected in any way by yesterday's events. And also for Travis, who I know cares deeply for his fans in the Houston community. I want to make it clear we weren't aware of any fatalities until the news came out after the show and in no world would have continued filming or performing. I'm sending my deepest condolences to all the families during this difficult time and will be praying for the healing of everyone that's been impacted. So, you know, I know the thing is, when that story was still up and in it, you could see the ambulance. People felt like that was really, really tone deaf. I think obviously once she realized what had gone on and, you know, she deleted it, of course. And I guess kind of my take on all this, and you can tell me how you feel about it, is like people and understandably, justifiably so, are really fucking angry about the situation. And they should be. This was an avoidable tragedy that should have absolutely never happened. I just think that in that anger, like, you can be mad at Travis all you want. He's very much responsible for most of this. I don't think extending that anger to Kylie is fair. Yeah, she comes across tone deaf most of the time, but she did not cause this. And there's no world in which if she knew the extent of what was going on, that number one, her pregnant self would be there or with her you know, three, four-year-old daughter. It's the fucked up, terrible tragedy, but that's Travis and his, his team's fault. Yeah, and the last thing we're going to do is blame Kylie for something that Travis did, as we've spoken about a lot of times before in terms of the Kardashians' relationship or any woman's relationship to their male counterpart. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't, what else is there to say on this? I mean, I don't, it's just, it's just terrible. I, I just, my heart really goes out to all of the victims, the families of the victims, and anybody who was there and witnessed it. I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be very, very traumatized from this. And I really hope that you know, they are able to get the help they need in terms of mental health counseling. I know, you know, what I just read that apparently Travis will be working with an organization to help that. And I hope those costs are covered because everybody should have access to therapy. You know, that's like the hill I will always die on. And unfortunately not everybody does. And this is really something that people need to process because that is, this is like a PTSD inducing event. And I just, I'm just so sorry that it happened really. Yeah, me too. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. 
And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So it was also announced that Cynthia Revo and Ariana Grande will be cast as Alphaba and Glinda in the Universal Studios film adaptation of Wicked. And it's exciting just if you knew nothing else, but a few things that we have to mention, we post this on the page. I'm sure you all are aware of this as of now, but I just want to talk about it for a second. So Ariana first got her start on Broadway in 2008 after appearing in 13, the musical. Did you know that I saw her in that? Like in when I was what, 15, 14? Do you know, I saw her with that and I was friends with her on Facebook and then defriended her. That was a thing, right? That wasn't like an urban legend. That was a real thing that you became friends with Ariana Grande on Facebook, right? The whole cast of 13 and Ariana Grande and Elizabeth Giles was included in that. Everybody came became friends on Facebook with that cast. It was like a weirdly niche but universal, nichely universal experience. I so vividly remember that. And there was also something, by the way, with Selena Gomez in Facebook. And I don't know if it was friends, but there was something there. I don't know about Selena Gomez, but I I totally believe it. Ariana Grande was a thing. Like me and my sister always talk about that. Like one day we were just like, who is this? And we were like, let's just defriend her. And then like maybe like two years later, she was on Victorious. Isn't that insane? Yeah. What a flex defriending Ariana Grande on Facebook. (laughs) Ari, if you're listening, add me back. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously Cynthia Erivo is best known for starring in the Broadway revival of The Color Purple from 2015 to 2017. She's won a Tony, a Grammy, a Daytime Emmy. And in addition to all of those things, she is, in my opinion, one of the like most prominent red carpet all-stars. I feel like every time we're doing any sort of red carpet talk, she's always in like our top at least 10. Yeah, totally. Oh my God. She's really coming strong and what a goddamn talent. Beyonce. So we posted this, I'm sure you all saw this by now, but Ariana Grande had tweeted in 2011 saying, loved seeing Wicked again, amazing production, made me realize again how badly I want to play Glinda at some point in my life, hashtag dream role. And obviously Kristen Chenoweth posted it, you know, basically saying, I'm not sure if I've ever been this proud from the very first day I met you, you were destined for this role. Congratulations at Ariana Grande, the best Glinda you will be with Cynthia Erivo by your side. I love you. And Ariana comments, words don't suffice. I love you more than I can say. I always have and always will. And her, thank you for holding my hand. Oh, what a full circle moment. That's really unbelievable. You know, we always talk about this. I feel like a lot of times for, you know, performers, full circle moments do occur. And when they talk about it, it's not that you don't believe them, but when you have it like this tangibly in writing, you have the photo proof you've known about Ariana's Broadway dreams for so long. It's just, I don't know. It's, it really gives you the chills. I really love the progression of Ariana Grande's career. And I think it's so fun to watch even like most recently with her being a cast member on the voice and being a judge and how much fun she seems to be having with that. And like the new audience she's reached in terms of kind of older people who watch the voice. Like I know my mom is just like obsessed with Ariana Grande now. 
And I just think that she elevates every single thing that she does, every role that she's in, everything that she takes part in. And it is so much fun to watch. And I cannot believe that she's having this moment now of like it all coming full circle for her to have the role that she died for since she was little. It's remarkable. It's very fun to watch. It's the kind of thing where I feel like even if you're not a fan of hers necessarily, you're still excited because just as a human being, like that's a really exciting evolution. Right. Absolutely. I want to get into the Kim and P stuff and the Kanye stuff. Just one quick thing to mention, Phoebe Bridgers and Paul Mescal, I guess are a couple, the fact that they walked the LACMA red carpet together. Yeah. I mean, they have been speculated to be dating since I think 2020 and they have had a lot of interactions together prior to when they sparked dating rumors. I know after Phoebe Bridgers watched Normal People, she had tweeted about it and he replied and they went back and forth a little bit. And then a couple of months later, there was reports that, you know, I think they were like on a vacation or something together, but it never been confirmed. And this was the first time they had walked a red carpet together. So that was, I don't know. I thought that was really cool to see them confirm a relationship, especially one that I kind of forgot about for a minute there. Well, obviously Paul was in Normal People and this tweet interaction is the best thing ever. In May, 2020, she tweets, finished Normal People and now I'm sad and horny. Oh wait. And he responds, I'm officially dead. And she responds, no, don't die. You're so talented. Aha. Of course, a play on the Leo meme, but hilarious. Doesn't that make you want to watch Normal People? It does. I mean, what made me want to watch Normal People before that was the account that's devoted entirely to his chain. Oh, it's interesting that that's been around for a year and a half now and you haven't watched yet. I'll get to it. You know I will eventually. No, I don't. (laughs) I will. I will. I'll surprise you one day. Okay. I can't wait for that day. (laughs) Okay. You want to do Kim and Pete first or Kanye first? I guess Kim and Pete because it kind of leads us into Kanye. Yeah. And I have far more to say about Kim and Pete. Okay. Buckle up. Let's do this shit. You ready? I'm so ready. I just sat up. I just cracked my back. Julie and I walked 40,000 steps yesterday and we are feeling it today. I am so, so, my back, no. We have to keep moving because if I actually think about how badly my back hurts right now, I won't be able to make it through this episode. I know, I know. People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, Commas by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Okay, so we all saw the viral photo of Kim and Pete holding hands at Not Scary Farm on the roller coaster. That was Friday, October 29th, okay? That's when the world goes absolutely batshit crazy and we're all just losing it. We are in a state of shock. We don't know what to do, don't know what to think. There are the articles coming out seemingly confirming it. You know, Even just the fact that this was being handled with a level of legitimacy was exciting and nerve-wracking and panic-inducing. Okay, Kim... <laughs> you agree with that evaluation? It was maybe a little dramatic, but I would say for the most part, sure. <laughs> okay. So then Kim is in New York on Monday, November 1st for the Wall Street Journal Innovator Awards. And the next night, Tuesday night, that's when the reports come out that her and Pete apparently had a private dinner in Staten Island. Apparently he arranged, this is a quote directly from a source that told page six, quote, Pete arranged a dinner on the rooftop privately. It was just the two of them. They didn't have any security with them and they quietly were able to sneak in and out. Okay. So yesterday, meaning November 7th, Dumas posted, again, this is from Dumas, which if anybody is unfamiliar, it's basically an account that posts anonymous tips. And they say constantly, like, take everything with a grain of salt because they cannot verify who's submitting it. So everything I'm about to say, take with a grain of salt, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. So from Tuesday night, when they went to company on Staten Island, one of my friends is very close with, name blocked out, apparently told all staff that they could not go to the rooftop and only he was permitted to go up there. Pete rented out the rooftop at the restaurant and staff were told that no photos could be taken and they were not allowed to go up to the roof. Quote, they were kissing up on the rooftop a lot. Parentheses, there are no photos, but security camera did catch it all. I doubt it will be leaked. I feel like I'm being like, I feel like somebody's fucking with me. So, like, I, I'm like trying to go through this outline like calmly and I can't do it. Like, is this legit? Like, what the fuck? You're going to tell me that. Hold on. As of right now, we haven't gone to anything else yet, but as of right now, based on what we're reading, Kim is in New York for a limited amount of time. And we know at the end of this section, we're going to get to the fact that she apparently spent two nights with him. But as of right now, after the Wall Street Journal event, she spends her next night alone with Pete Davidson at a private restaurant in Staten Island with no security? What the fuck? Listen, if they had had dinner in New York, I would be able to subscribe to their their just friends. Like, I would be able to say there's nothing going on. You don't go to Staten Island for somebody unless there's something going on. There's not a chance in the world. What? Pete was like, by the way, I have to show you the best Italian food in the entire world. Why don't you just get on the New York City ferry, pay $2.25, come over to Staten Island, and I'll take you out for the best Italian meal of your life. Like, First of all, Kim could go to Italy if she wanted Italian food. You're telling me she's going to Staten Island? But here's my question, okay? This is what I need to know. Is that 100%? Like, I know every single place has reported it and kind of confirmed. Did that really happen? Because there are no photos. It must have happened. Oh my God. Okay, hold on. So after that happens, reports start surfacing that this was for the show and that apparently Hulu cameras were there recording. It later came out that apparently no cameras were there. So first of all, 
when you first hear that there are cameras there, it almost makes a lot more sense because you're like, yes, this is great. This is the most ideal content. Talk about ratings for the show. This has Chris Jenner's name all over it. Like, absolutely. Or you also think, you know, maybe they're doing some sort of a business situation that was filmed for the show. Then once you find out apparently there were no cameras, it takes on a whole other meaning because if we want to believe what we're being told, that means Kim and Pete Davidson are alone on a rooftop in Staten Island and there is no business meaning other than the public interest that it would drum up. And that is just a whole other fucking can of worms. I so badly wish him that I could give you some sort of like a logical explanation, even if the logical explanation is they are dating, they are hooking up, like Pete for skims men, like whatever it is, I wish I could provide you with some sort of an answer as to what's going on here. I simply don't know. Like I am not fully convinced enough yet that there's something going on between them. Although that may be a stupid thing to say, having seen them together in New York, not one, but two nights. And for Kim to go to Staten Island, I don't know what's going on. And I can't give an intelligent response to how I feel about what's going on because I've never been more thrown off in my life. In my entire life. I, I don't think you guys understand. Julie and I, you said this earlier, but it's a hundred percent true. Every 10 minutes we would turn to each other and be like, okay, so what do you actually think? And just, (laughs) it was at the point where I was talking loud enough that I would hope random strangers would just join in because all I want to do is listen to other people talk about this. You know what I mean? When that TMZ notification came through and it was like, first of all, it's my birthday. So I'm like, wait a second. You're telling me that on my birthday, Kim and Pete Davidson are having dinner. First of all, you guys didn't invite me, rude. Second of all, that's the single greatest gift I ever could have been given. No, I mean, that's like some next level shit. Talk about in the world of celebrity pairings. Just, it's like it it elicits interest from all sides of the spectrum. This is too much for me. Okay, so as if it wasn't crazy enough, like we're all losing our minds, right? We are counting down the days till our next podcast. Wednesday, the following night, they apparently have dinner together at Zero Bond. And this one, there were not pictures from inside, but there were pictures from both of them outside. This is the one where Kim was in that, you know, black velvet dress and Pete was in like jeans and a plaid shirt. Okay. A source tells E! News that this dinner was with friends rather than a private dinner, just the two of them. And an insider confirms Kim and Pete, quote, arrived separately, both with groups of friends and left separately. Another source tells E! News, quote, Kim thinks Pete's hilarious. Pete is quite the charmer and she totally understands the allure. Kim loves that they just laugh the entire time they're together and she's really enjoying hanging out with him. And then a source who apparently saw them together at Zero Bond said, quote, they were smiling and laughing a lot and seemed genuinely affectionate with each other. I don't know. No, no, wait, this is my favorite part. And then, according to sources speaking with TMZ, apparently, and I quote, Pete is really hitting it off with all of the Kardashians' friends, and he attempted to pay for the entire outing at Zero Bond by calling ahead with his credit card information. By the way, flex. What a redemption from having to pay for them at Nobu and then going on Jimmy Fallon to say like that he got stuck with the bill and now he's calling ahead to make sure he's paying for Kim. No, sorry. That's too much for me and I can't handle any of this. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. 
Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Too much. And I also want to say, I fully believe that the Zero Bond dinner was, you know, with with friends. I think that that makes a lot of sense. That's something that I so get. Like, I really could see Pete Davidson absolutely thriving in that kind of circle. He's so funny. He's so fun to be around. I just feel like that makes a lot more sense. I'm just having a hard time picturing... Kim and Pete alone on a romantic date, like holding hands, forget the Staten Island element. Like that's obviously a hilarious kind of comedic benefit to all this. But even if they were at, you know, Carbone and they rented out the whole place, I still am just having a hard time getting a a visual to that. And maybe I just need a photo of it. Maybe we've been so conditioned to need photographic evidence when it comes to celebrity pairings that, you know, I got spoiled with JLo and Ben. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around it. No, I know. Cause the way I feel is like, okay, Obviously, them together in a group outing where they're at an amusement park and holding hands on a roller coaster, not enough for me. Had they gone to dinner in New York, zero bond, all of their friends, still not enough for me. It's a group outing. It's the solo dinner. And then on top of the solo dinner, the fact that zero bond was the next night and they're seeing each other two nights in a row. When I feel like when Kim's in New York, she kind of leaves immediately after what she has to be here for. That is throwing me off more and than I could ever put into words. And I know I'm repeating myself and I am so sorry for that fact, but I, I don't know what, like, I don't know how else to get my words out. No, you know what? This is like one of those segments where I'm not even concerned as to the eloquence because I know that every single person listening is having the same reaction. Like, even if there are people that are thinking hundred percent it's happening, they still are riled up about this and like confused and excited and just like panicky and like, what the fuck is going on? Like everybody is having the same reaction that we have. That's why I don't care <laughs> how like ridiculous we sound. I hope it's true. Listen, I pray that it's true. This would be the single greatest plot twist in recent celebrity dating history. And I will stand by that. Nothing would make me happier, more confused, more like celebratory of celebrity culture than this happening. I I can't even explain the way in which this makes me feel because it is so unlikely and so illogical just in terms of when you think of both of them as individual entities that it almost seems like somebody wrote this as a plot line where they were like, what if we just have Kim date Pete Davidson? And like, that's an SNL skit in and of itself. And now I'm on the Truman Show and that's what's happening here. That's what it has to be is that we are on the Truman Show. No, that's what it feels like. And also I just, and I love it. By the way, whatever ride we're on, I don't want to get off. I want to stay on this fucking ride. Same. Okay, so then the Kanye of it all, I hate to bring us down with that, but I think it's important to mention. Yes? Yeah. So a source told Page Six that apparently people close to Kim are concerned with the way that Kanye may react to this Pete news, considering the fact that he has recently apparently said that he still wants to be with her. That doesn't really feel like news. I feel like we all kind of knew that. Then he went on the Drink Champs show, which we will talk about momentarily. But first, yesterday or two days ago, reports start surfacing that he is dating model Venetria. So sources tell Page Six, quote, they've been hooking up for a while now. And if you saw, he was sitting courtside at Donda Academy. It was the debut basketball game in Minneapolis. And I know everybody was wondering who was that sitting next to Connie. And apparently it was this model named Venetria. So you hear that news and it's like, okay, good for Kanye. You know, Kim's doing her thing. Any sign that he's moving on is honestly good for him, whatever. So you hear all of that. 
And around the exact same time that that news is breaking, he does this two and a half hour interview on Revolt TV's Drink Champs. And I have to be honest with you, I I couldn't, I, I tried and I just could not get through the entire two and a half. Did you? No, I couldn't get through it either. I have a really hard time watching Kanye on in long form settings because the narcissism is so overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, also there's just an element of like absolute delusion there. That's just, it's, it's hard to watch. I mean, I really, obviously there was a time period where I would have been very excited by the prospect of an interview. I, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. Like it, I don't even have that reaction of like, Oh, I hope he doesn't say something stupid because I'm so past that. And I really don't care what he says other than the fact that like when it has to do with Kim or people in her life, then I like kind of, I don't have a personal reaction to it, but I do get annoyed and I don't think it's right for certain things. But with a lot of the other stuff he's talking about, aside from the fact that I don't really care anymore about his position on it, a lot of the subject matter that he covers isn't stuff that I particularly am invested in either. Yeah. I mean, he, I would say I probably got through all in all based on the fast forwarding that I did, maybe 45 minutes of the two and a half hours, which is more than I had anticipated. But there was this one quote that was really going viral. And when he would refer to Kim, he would refer to her as his wife. And there was this one quote that he said, SNL making my wife say, I divorced him on TV because they just wanted to get that bar off. And I never even seen the papers. We're not even divorced. It's no joke to me. My kids want their parents to stay together. I want us to be together. Which there's so much there because I do believe that he wants, of course, him and Kim to be together. Him not seeing the divorce papers, that just feels untrue to me. Right. Right? I mean, unless they exist and they haven't been given to him yet or they're drawn up, I don't really know what's going on there. But it's not like they weren't filed. I mean, there was TMZ confirmation. Kim has spoken about divorcing. And also, SNL didn't make Kim say anything. Kim didn't make up a divorce that isn't happening to talk about it. That was one of the our big takeaways, actually, was we were so relieved to hear her say that in her monologue because it made it so real when there was a lot of speculation about whether or not that was up in the air or not. See, that's the thing. It's like he in that one statement, there's two conflicting statements. I 100% believe he wants you know, him and Kim to be together, and that's accurate, but that does not mean that SNL made her say that. Like the two just are not related just because that's not the reality that you want to be the case. And obviously divorce is sad. Like it just doesn't work like that. And he says these things, which if they only impacted him would be one thing. But when he says things at the expense of those closest to him, you can't help, but, you know, obviously not feel personally impacted, but just like look down on it a little, or at least that's how I feel. To me, it's so sad because when I look at Kanye and I listen to him speak, it's like this obsession with cancel culture and beating cancel culture and being uncancelable is like impacted every single aspect of his life more than what you would even logically expect it to expand to. So when he's talking about Kim and he's talking about their children and their marriage and SNL, it's like because of this fixation on cancel culture and the way the media treats him and their family and his, and his career, he's so focused on how that has affected him and how that affects his marriage and what people are saying about him rather than his own accountability and what's going on. And because it has turned into such an obsession with like, oh, I don't care what the media says about me or like, oh, I'm uncancelable. Everything that goes wrong in his life or everything that he does is a result of the people around him and the media around him and the public rather than his own actions. And that's what I find to be the most difficult thing about it. 
yes, it's, it's a constant lack, or at least I guess I can't say it's a lack of, but it's a, it's a constant lack of outward accountability. You never really hear him put himself in, in the front of the narrative when it comes to anything that went wrong. It's like to say, you know, also to say, you know, my kids want their parents to be together, all that it, it puts, not that it puts Kim in a bad light, but it removes the fact of like, Kim wanted that too. Kim, of course, wanted them to stay together in theory. You know, she didn't want to get divorced, but she was living a life that was not sustainable. I will never forget that scene from, I don't know if it was this last season or the season before where she's hysterically crying. It's with Courtney and Kylie's there. And she's saying like, I can't live like this anymore. And he deserves somebody that can live this lifestyle. You know, I want to raise our family together. He wants to live in Wyoming six months of the year. Like I can't do this. You know what I mean? And never once in all of it, I feel like has she made him look bad. Even when he's put her on blast on Twitter, put Chris on blast on Twitter. I feel like Kim has still remained, uh, I don't know, just really kind in the way that she has handled it. And it's just sad. It's just really, really sad. And I can tell, I have to imagine that, you know, Kanye is going through it and he's hurt and it's unfortunate, but I just don't necessarily feel it's an excuse for the picture that he sometimes paints. No, I totally agree. Yeah. I also know that there was a lot of conversation, like kind of outrage about how Kanye was handling it like this when he was apparently dating Irina Shake very shortly after, you know, they split up. The thing, the reason for me that that wasn't like the strongest argument was one, because I feel like we never got 100% confirmation on that. But second of all, like being upset about that, which is obviously a very logical thought process, would mean that you were using logic there. And Kanye, when he makes these points, he doesn't operate from a place of logic typically. So he would not think through the idea of like the hypocrisy there. You know what I mean? Right, of course. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention like about anything? Yes, there is actually one thing Kardashian related that I'm sure if we do a... uh bonus episode for this week that we'll get into. But I wanted to talk about the fact that at Chris's birthday, obviously Courtney and Travis were there. There's the video of Travis like literally grabbing Courtney's boob in front of everybody. But also Scott and Chloe posted the next day being like about last night or something. And Scott posted something very sweet about like Chloe looking really beautiful. But seemingly Scott was at that very small intimate dinner for Chris's birthday as well. Yeah. I mean, I think he hundred percent was, which again, all we have been saying is that we were so curious to watch footage of Scott in the same room as Courtney and Travis, even though that sounds like just sad and and like inhumane for somebody to have to watch. If it's going to happen, I want to at least be able to witness it. And so I guess if they're there for Chris, there were cameras. So that's one, a good side. And second of all, we didn't even say this. Everybody thought that it was Pete when they were singing karaoke, but I think that it was confirmed that it was Ellen DeGeneres. (laughs) Yes. That was no fucking joke. Let me tell you something. Those were a few minutes of heart palpitations. When I thought that Pete Davidson was at Kris Jenner's intimate birthday event where Kim is singing karaoke, I mean, that was, Julie, I don't know what to say about that one. That's the part that I couldn't get over, which was funny, was like, if they are dating in like the very beginning stages of dating or hooking up, I was like, I don't care who you are. Like you can be Kim and he can be Pete. To me- singing karaoke in front of somebody you're just hooking up with is like a lot. Well, especially for somebody like us that are so toned up, but Kim's pretty toned up too. Right. Like, I don't even know what it is. Like, it just seems like a lot. Like, by the way, Chloe is a karaoke star. Yeah, she is. Wait, it was also funny. Somebody was like, I I don't know. 
I don't know if this was on Naskin even not fat or I don't know, or maybe it was on Twitter. Somebody posted or maybe somebody DM'd us and they were like, I totally could see Pete being there. Like, look at Kim. She's sitting so like flirtatiously or something like that. And, or like, she's sitting so consciously of like looking sexy. And I was thinking like, I feel like that's just her baseline. You know what I mean? Like literally she could be in a room alone. And I feel like that's always the way that she would sit and kind of present herself. There's a joke in that of just like, do you want to know how hot Kim is? She literally just sits like that. Like literally, <laughs> literally. Anyway, whoa, what a week, a lot happening. I We're obviously doing a Bravo episode and a bonus episode this week. I just don't know if we're going to do more of like a midweek news recap or if it'll be a classic bonus show of an old episode recap. Depends what else comes out this week. But we love you guys. Oh, and I actually wanted to mention, this is totally unrelated to anything, but we have two followers slash listeners, Kat and Morgan, and they started this company. They're from Australia. They started this company called See Clear, C-E-E Clear. And they sent to us these like plastic cases like for traveling. And I, I know I literally never do this in terms of product stuff, but I can't explain to you, like it's the best travel pouch that I personally have ever used because I, my stuff is always spilling. I'm always like going through Ziploc bags and they gave us a code. Obviously we don't get a kickback from this just for you guys. It's CBC 15 for 15% off your first purchase. And I'm so happy to be able to support a follower slash listener brand, especially female owned. So in the description, of course, we put the highlighted black owned business and the codes, but I'm also going to put this because it was just a great product that I think more people should know about. So Thank you guys for sending that to us. And we love you guys so much. Thank you for letting us do this. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada, yada, yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.